everyone, this is Mallory. You're listening to another episode of Cinema 5000. Thanks for listening. Uh, it is currently Halloween weekend, so October 29th is the release date of this episode, 2022, and I'm here to talk to you about some movies I've seen recently. These are mostly horror movies, but not all horror movies. Uh, I watched a couple films when I was still on vacation um, on an island and then got home and now that I'm home, I'm in the fall spirit, you know, getting ready for the weekend of, you know, people being their usual, I don't want to, I want to be lame and say ghoulish, but yeah, people doing Halloween stuff all around, uh, that we're, we're going to talk about movies. So count on Letterboxd as I head to that towards that, um, number of 5,000, I I am at 4,972 films watched. Wow. Uh, getting close, getting real close, 28 movies left, and I'm actually headed out tonight to go to a horror marathon where I know there are at least, are at least three movies being shown that I haven't seen before, and then when I come back, of course, um, <laughs> it's an overnight thing, so like I'll have like part of Sunday to watch another movie and then like Halloween's happening and yeah we're getting real close to that number um so uh at the rate I'm going I sh- I would think I have this like hit the 5,000 hit by like maybe the end of November we'll see I I'm not going to push myself to get it done in any certain certain time frame but I've had a lot of time to watch a lot of movies so let's get into it uh for the last part of my vacation, I, you know, I had plenty of downtime. Uh, I ended up watching a couple movies, which I was just like sort of semi-interested in. One of them being <laughs> the 1989 film directed by Ted Kotcheff called Weekend at Bernie's. Bernie may be dead, but he's still the life of the party. Two friends are invited for a weekend to a luxury island with their boss. The boss gets killed and nobody seems to notice, except the two friends. In order to not become suspects of murder, they treat the body as a puppet and make belie- make people believe he's still alive. The killer wants to do his job, so when he's informed that the stiff is still alive, he's got to shoot him again, and again, and again. <laughs> um, so... I was born in the 80s and I was aware of this movie and its popularity. I had really no idea what it actually was about beyond the title and just seeing the poster and then seeing the sequel at the video store when I was a little older. Like, I think I saw it at the video store, like, when it was like a brand new release. But um, this movie stars Andrew McCarthy and (laughs) Jonathan Silverman. If you don't remember, uh, Jonathan Silverman uh, eventually got his own TV show. (laughs) I watched it. I was a child. I had no idea what quality was um, (laughs) or anything like that. Nothing against Jonathan Silverman, but it was just a very forgettable TV show. Uh, But Andrew McCarthy is somebody I've seen in a number of movies over the years. And um, yeah, Bernie Bernie himself is played by the actor Terry Kaiser. This movie is just one joke. there's no depth here there's no pondering questions of life and existence and anything of substance um (laughs) it is very terrible it is not funny and I can I can understand why why um some people would find this funny but for me it just felt 
I felt dead. <laughs> um, it just doesn't have like anything funny about it. It's just, it's just kind of lame. Like this would be actually a really funny movie to put on the back, on the, in the background if you're like at a party or something and just see what people think of it because there's nothing funny about it. <laughs> and the two main characters are just these two young men who don't know, know really what they've got themselves into. Because what ends up happening is that they find these discrepancies in the reporting for the company that they work for, um, with Bernie being their boss. And they bring it to his attention. And Bernie says, hey, why don't you come out to my... Uh, my island home on Long Island. I don't know if it's actually off the coast of Long Island. I don't, yeah, it's not important. But uh, the you have to take a boat to get to the house. But basically, um, Bernie's like, yeah, come out to my house. And Bernie's plan is actually to murder these two guys because he knows that if this wrongdoing is found out, it's not good for his company that these two gentlemen work for him at. And, uh, yeah, but what ends up happening is that Bernie gets killed because uh, when Bernie brings this up, the guys Bernie works for technically mob gang, mob related something, um, they end up wanting to kill Bernie. <laughs> so that's where the plot of Bernie is like getting shot um, or hunted uh, comes into play. It's not a good film. It just isn't. This is this is bad. Um, but I hate to say it, I, there's some sick part of me that kind of wants to watch the sequel, Weekend at Bernie's 2. Um, I don't know why. I, I do. I probably will. Not anytime soon, though, but gee golly. Um, <laughs> it's actually kind of funny that nobody has tried to remake this movie because I think this would be a really easy movie to remake but then again maybe not with the internet like if you had it set in like the 80s again um or no it's maybe just a terrible idea why would I say that why would I say anything positive about Weekend at Bernie's <laughs> but yeah Weekend at Bernie's I rated it one star on Letterboxd um and then to cleanse my palate a bit um I think like the next day or so yeah I ended up watching the movie Beatrice at Dinner from 2017, directed by Miguel Arteta. Um, so the tagline is, she was invited, but she's not welcome. Beatriz, an immigrant from a poor town in Mexico, has drawn on her innate kindness to build a career as a health practitioner. Doug Strutt is a cutthroat, self-satisfied billionaire. When these two opposites meet at a dinner party, their worlds collide, and neither will ever be the same. So this stars Salma Hayek as Beatriz. And she's good in the film. Uh, John Lethgow is Doug Strutt. Um, and the way this actually happens is that Beatrice gives massages to Connie Britton. And she knows Connie Britton because um, she works at a health like wellness place where Connie Britton's daughter came when she had cancer. And her daughter got better. And so Connie Britton's character, uh, Kathy, feels very in debt to Beatrice about you know her ability to help her family. Um, but the class structure of this movie is that basically Beatriz is a working class woman who lives in Los Angeles in like the Los Angeles area. Um, and then Connie Britton's character lives like still within sort of like the realm of Los Angeles, but in a giant gated community with her mansion. 
Um, and she's a very well-off woman. So Beatrice comes to do a house call one day to give her a massage before this dinner party. And Beatrice's car uh, breaks down, like does not leave the driveway and she doesn't know how to get home. And she calls for like a tow and the guy who's going to come take her car, uh, it gets delayed. Like he can't be there. So Connie Britton's character is just like, well, why don't you just stay for dinner? If you want, you can, you can maybe change if you want. And Beatrice is just kind of like, uh, okay, well, I guess I'll just stay. And it starts out okay. There was obvious differences between some of the dinner guests. It's not a big dinner. It's just like a business dinner. Um, and the differences between them and Beatrice are obvious, but my problem with this movie is solely on the script. Uh, this is written by Mike White, who has made movies such as Chuck and Buck. He uh, also wrote, uh, I think he directed as well, the movie The Year of the Dog, which I was not fond of. Um, and this movie wants to say a lot of things about class and how very rich people uh, take advantage of others through like different developments like with the construction and sort of stripping local resources and land of things such as you know nature and animals and harming you know harming communities uh and i don't think this movie does a very good job at really talking about that subject without seeming kind of cheesy uh this is a post trump election movie so this movie came out in 2017 and I think it wanted to say some things about how evil uh, these corporate builders are and how they take over small communities and that hurts people and the uh, places they live. But in doing so, this movie also kind of makes Beatrice feel like an other, like an other. Like they, they really do a lot to make her seem like an outsider, but in a way that I think that I think does a disservice for her character because they kind of make her out to be like this stereotypical myth, mystical healer kind of person. They don't really lean in on it, but it's sort of suggested and the end of the movie definitely goes there. And that left a bad taste in my mouth. Like it would have been a lot more effective if they left that stuff out completely. Like don't make her out to be someone who is very believing in certain things to the degree that it does like you can be a little more subtle about it and it's more effective like having her be a grounded person gives the audience someone else to relate to because the audience can't relate to the billionaire in a lot of ways you can relate to Beatrice but they do some they do some things in this movie that I just didn't I didn't care for with her character and it's just too bad because um, I think Salma Hayek is really good but they just make her out to be not as realistic as they could have and it's it's too bad because uh an outsider coming into this you know this place for one night um is an interesting subject especially a character who you know has talked uh, with people at the dinner table about her history and how she's an immigrant um but yeah i uh I just, I just didn't care for this. I thought it was a bit misguided. Um, I just don't think, I don't think it did a good job at painting a picture of these people in a way that made them all feel like real people. Uh, so moving on from Beatrice at dinner, I got back into the swing of horror movies once I, once I came home. I was in my element of, you know, just hanging out uh, in the October mood and the leaves have all turned in my neighborhood and it's nice and crisp outside. And it's funny, when I got back from being on the island, which was, you know, out, outside of Puerto Rico, um, 
my dad was like, do you miss it here? Do you miss it yet? Because my parents are still there. And I was just like, no, because there's something about the fall feeling and uh, just like going outside for a walk and the leaves are under your feet and the ground's uh, like, you know, a little soft in the dirt and the grass and it's not hot. It's just like nice and cool. That's really wonderful. And so what better movie to watch <laughs> to get into like the sort of fall mood than the 1993 film called Leprechaun, directed by Mark Jones. Uh, The tagline is, your luck just ran out. A horrific leprechaun goes on a rampage after his precious bag of gold coins is stolen. He uses all of his magical destructive powers to trick, terrorize, and kill anyone who is unlucky enough to hinder his relentless search. In a frantic attempt to survive the wrath of the leprechaun, Tori and her friends scramble to find the only weapon known to kill this Irish monster, a four-leaf clover. <laughs> clover. <laughs> so um, Jennifer Aniston plays Tori, and she's kind of the reluctant hero, I guess you could say, of this movie. Um, she's playing this, like, 90s she's not really a valley girl but she's like this type of character that you see in movies in the 90s the girl who likes to go to the mall who likes to look good this and that uh I actually think Jennifer Aniston is good in this movie like really good like better than this movie by a thousand miles (laughs) um it's it's not a good movie (laughs) um she's like gone to stay with her dad I think and uh then some bad stuff starts happening And the very weird thing about this movie, which is not well made, just looks kind of cheap. It's got some bad music and this and that. And uh, um, the bad thing about this movie, it made me think, like when I was watching it, it reminded me so much of like a Disney Channel movie. But this is a Disney Channel movie, essentially, with murder (laughs) and this evil leprechaun played by Warwick Davis. And yeah, the leprechaun's effective. It's just, it's not dark enough of a movie to really work on the level that I think it should. It just feels, like, so goofy and strange. Um, And there's some things about it that are just so weird that I almost want to say you should watch it. But no, it's not a good movie. I rated it one star. Maybe that's, like, a little harsh because I did think Jennifer Aniston was pretty good. But there's just no way this is a good movie. I, I can see somebody watching it and getting, like, a lot of enjoyment out of it because it is someone, like, a somewhat of a, um, like, a B-movie kind of thing. It is campy. It is definitely campy. Uh, but it just, it's not good. <laughs> I, I, I don't recommend Leprechaun. Uh, I had seen part of this on, like, HBO when I was a little kid and it freaked me out because it was in like a basement like every little kid is like scared of the basement because it's dark and it's unknown and uh the leprechaun kills somebody in the basement and seeing that scene as a child just was like it freaked me out um but I it's it's not good I mean but you know if you're watching a movie called leprechaun you know what you're getting into (laughs) um but yeah so leprechaun from 1993 directed by Mark Jones. Let's move on to something better, something a little more refined. It's the 2022 film Smile, directed by Parker Finn. The tagline is, once you see it, it's too late. After witnessing a bizarre, traumatic incident involving a patient, Dr. Rose Cotter starts experiencing frightening occurrences that she can't explain. As an overwhelming terror begins taking over her life, Rose must confront her troubling past in order to survive 
and escape her horrifying new reality. So actress Sozie Bacon plays Rose, and I have never seen her in anything before. Apparently she was on the show, um, well, the series, rather, Mayor of Easttown from HBO with uh, Kate Winslet. Haven't seen it. But regardless, um, I thought she was good. She was, it was refreshing to see an actress I've never seen before in a film where she is, like, the main character, like, in, in almost every scene. Um, the, my, so it's an interesting, it's an interesting film. It's a lot more than just like the smiling face that you may have seen and the wacky advertisements they did like during some of the, uh, the, the recent baseball national league and American league series, like they did advertising on TV where like there was people just like smiling in the stands for the baseball you know, game, like, so, so weird, like, why would you do that, um, and it's funny, a lot of people were talking about how, online, at least, people I know, uh, were talking about how many times they had seen the trailer for Smile in the theater, and they're just like, oh my god, that looks terrible, I don't think I saw the trailer for any, for, before any movie in the month or so before this was released, I, I don't think I ever saw the trailer once, like, in the theater. And I don't know if that's just a Regal Cinemas thing or what, because I just, I didn't really know this movie existed other than just somebody, people just mentioning, hey, here to smile, this movie. Um, but it's become a bit of a hit. Like, it, it's actually doing good business for something that doesn't have any big stars in it. It's just a silly, simple premise, seemingly, at least. Um, with just these evil smiling faces. Um, but let me talk about the film. Um, it's interesting how this character uh, starts to experience these, you know, sightings of like this evil face. Um, she sort of knows like at times that there's a presence. I don't want to talk too much about this movie to spoil it or anything like that because it is it is so new. Um, but it's it's a little long, but I, I had a really good experience in watching this as far as its visuals, its production, how the cinematography worked, the colors, like it felt like a movie that had a lot of care done as far as setting you up for whatever was going to happen and where. And since this character, uh, Rose, Dr. Rose rather, works in like a psych psychiatric facility of this hospital the colors are like baby blue and baby pink and just give you this uneasy feeling because they're just not muted colors. They have a presence like just of awkwardness and weirdness. And I can't remember exactly what the details were, but there were some costumes here and there where I was just like, oh, whoa, this movie is doing a lot of work to do like a color story, um, with the characters. This is me talking about the movie without telling you anything about the movie, but, um, it's, it's, it was an interesting experience because it had so much to offer, not just in its story and its acting, but also the visuals. And I feel like it's been a while, a long while since I've seen a movie that did those kinds of things when I wasn't expecting it. There are certain art films I'll go see and I'm expecting it to be, you know, really well done, this and that, because I know the filmmaker's gonna do that. But I went into Smile and I was just like fully like, okay, whoa, somebody's doing a lot of work with this film. And I definitely wanna see it again because it just it just gave me a lot to think about with what it was trying to tell. And then when it comes to like the actual terror moments, um, there's not like anything 
remarkable about how this movie stages horror, but I will say uh, some of the visual scary moments and some of the faces and the things you see, I, I liked. There's not a lot of gore, I want to say. Uh, it's, it's more like the effect of like the feeling. It's less about nastiness. But there are some moments in this movie that just really, really worked for me with that. I'm not saying this movie is any kind of masterpiece. I'm just saying that, it, especially since the movie I watched before this was Leprechaun, there's a lot of care taken in making this movie. It doesn't feel like some cheap crap, cha- excuse me, cheap cash grab. It feels like a film, like good, like that's good. Like for horror these days, like some of them just seem really, you know, cheap and not a lot of effort made. And I could see that there was effort made and I really appreciate about that about Smile. Um, (laughs) uh, So it did kind of remind me of a movie that I saw earlier this year that wasn't wasn't so great, but also had a decent story, which is the movie Emma starring Sandra Oh. That's also another movie about a main character really facing like her fears and past to do with family and issues. but not the same story, really. It's it's more about like how you deal with your past. But I I just said that. But anyway, smile. Uh, I recommend it. There's a lot going on here that feels it feels like there was an there was an effort here. Yeah, there was an effort here. I don't want to spoil anything, but you know the the demon faces, the smiling and stuff like that. It's not just about the smile. It's about what builds to that moment. So I do recommend smile. Uh, It is definitely still in theaters. Um, It is, I believe, rated R. Yeah, it should have been rated R if it wasn't rated R. Uh, But yeah, it is, you know, likely coming to digital and all that stuff later. And also this movie is almost two hours long. I think it could have been a little bit shorter. There's a couple moments here and there that maybe lingered a little too much, but I think it's an effective film. And as I said, it stars Sosie Bacon. Uh, It also has Kyle Gallner, who most people might not know, but he was in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake in like 2010-ish, which isn't great, but he was also in the um, new Scream film earlier this year, and it also has Cal Penn in a small role too, so, and Rob Morgan, yeah, Uh, but Smile, the new horror film, I do recommend it. Something a little different, but also horror that I maybe don't recommend, unfortunately, (laughs) Uh, is Popcorn, the 1991 film directed by Mark Harrier, buy a bag, go home in a box. Uh, a horror film festival held in a theater, which was once the scene of a tragic fire, turns into a real-life horror show. Ooh. Um, this film stars Jill Sholin and Dee Wallace. Uh, it also has Tony Roberts in it and Ray Wellstone. Um, it's not a great film. It's a 1991 film that definitely feels like it was probably made in the late 80s. Um, I don't know the backstory of it. I just know that this movie was... Uh, if I remember correctly, filmed in Jamaica, which is so offbeat and weird to think about a horror movie being filmed in Jamaica when it's supposed to take place in California. But it's a basically, it's basically about, um, these film students in college who want to go ahead and do a film festival because they find some like film and they're like, oh yeah, this would be cool. Let's show this. Uh, but there's some backstory history there. Uh, turns out the main character, um, Maggie, who's played by Jill Sholin, has been having like these visions and she's not really sure what's going on. It's about trauma. It's about family history. Not like Smile, but 
I just talked about those things anyway to do a smile. Um, the acting in this movie isn't so great. Like, Jill Sholin is fine. I like her in some other movies, such as um, When a Stranger Calls Back, which I saw when I was a very young child, and it did did give me some nightmares. Um, and also, she's in The Stepfather, uh, a film I do definitely like. Uh, but this movie... It kind of does a disservice to some of the characters. It goes for, like, the goofiness you get in some horror movies, and I don't think the characters are very interesting. Uh, the actual uh, villain of this movie, when it's revealed, uh, it was just it was just weird. A little wacky. Uh, felt like there was a lot, lot to do with that character that I just, I just didn't care for. Um, and this movie's going for the visual gags, like the wackiness, like effects, and this just never came together for me. Like it could have been fun to just be about a killer film festival or people die, but it tries to do a lot of wacky stuff to do with that and the family history. And it sounds like I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but there's just not a lot of depth here and it didn't quite work for me, but it's an amusing watch. Like I wouldn't say absolutely don't watch this, but yeah, it's not, it's not really a bad film. It just didn't quite work for me. It didn't hit, you know, can't like them all. Um, but Popcorn, the 1991 film, I had seen that this was on the Joe Bob Briggs last drive-in last weekend, and I didn't quite get the chance to watch it. So I went back on Shudder to give this a shot. Um, it's available on like streaming, you know, platforms like for rental, a couple other ones, I think as well but it's, it's okay. I mean, maybe I'm just a little disappointed because I know that this is like a film festival thing and I'm all about that. And it just didn't give me a lot to think about. Maybe, I don't know, popcorn. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, earlier today, I actually tried to watch this last night, but earlier today I watched the film Psycho 2 from 1983 directed by Richard Franklin. Tagline is, it's 22 years later, and Norman Bates is finally coming home. After years of treatment at a mental institution for the criminally insane, serial killer Norman Bates is finally released. Deciding to move back into his long-dead mother's infamous old house, he soon finds himself tormented, tormented by, quote, her demands, and begins to question his own sanity. So Anthony Perkins comes back to play Norma Bates, Norman Bates, um, and as you may or may not know or remember the character, uh, Lila Crane, the sister of Marion Crane, she comes back too, played by Vera Miles. Um, Meg Tilly plays a supporting character who works with Norman Bates at a restaurant. Her, she's played by Mary, and Norman's just trying to be Norman, just trying to be a regular person in this movie, trying to get back into society, gets a job at this restaurant, um, but starts to have some problems. Like he's starting to get bothered by some people, uh, goes back to the property of the Bates Hotel and learns that there's some drugs happening and maybe some unsavior behaviors by people who rented his hotel. Oh my goodness. So <laughs> Norman is like just trying to be a regular dude in the early 80s. And what ends up happening is he starts to have visions and thoughts that his mother is maybe talking to him again. And we don't quite know if it's him having issues or if this is really happening. Like, what's the story here? This is an interesting film. Um, Norman, as played by Anthony Perkins here, really, like, 
is just re-entering society and not necessarily in a Hitchcock way. This movie plays it pretty straight. Like it wants to be a film made in the 80s while referencing this older story and this character, but very much accessible to modern audiences. Like this is not a Hitchcock film. It's not trying to be a Hitchcock film. There are some visual um, callbacks to certain scenes and shots, especially since the um, Bates house like where Norman lived with his mother is definitely present it's a place that he still has and it looks like exactly the same like I I think the set design on this is really good and they do some do some slight updating here and there um but yeah so essentially Norman in his frustration starts to befriend um Mary Meg Tilly who works at this restaurant with him She's been having some boy problems and she kind of needs a place to stay. And guess what Norman's got? He's got all these, you know, he's got all these hotel rooms. <laughs> um, and in his conflict of trying to run the hotel he wants to run, um, the guy managing it, Warren Toomey, he's played by Dennis Friends. Uh, he uh, he uh, is not a good guy and Norman Norman does something about it. Or so we think. We don't really know. Uh the interesting thing about the casting of Meg Tilly, they have her hair styled very short and cut in a way that's like the 80s version of what Marion Crane's hair would have looked like. Uh, she's she's not really mousy, but she's just kind of reserved. But also, she's not like weak. She's a decent character and she's she's structured really well as far as her conflict in her life and how she interacts with Norman like you wouldn't expect them to be friends but at the same time she looks at him and she's just kind of like I get it yeah you you're you're struggling and you just need someone to believe in you because she wants to give him a chance she knows he's not like necessarily um how shall I say it like he's been released into society but I don't think she has she has clearly this is like supposed to be the real world so the movie Psycho but we psycho would not exist, but she's not a girl who does all her research about serial killers and all stuff like that. Like she just, she's just a normal gal and she's just like, okay, well this bad thing happened to you and you are now out and you're free. And so she's giving him a fair shake. Um, it's just, it's really interesting, like how they both talk to each other and just interact. And I think the script of this does a good job of giving, giving the audience the chance also, also to give Norman Bates his own chance about living his life with with the happenings of the original psycho film behind him or wanting to move behind it but then he can't because certain things are happening it turns out dun 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 turns out um he's not necessarily like totally with it and things come back he does bad things uh this movie should never be looked at as like a really you know, perfect evaluation of psychiatric issues and people who have mental illness whatsoever. Don't do that. Don't, don't watch this movie thinking that it's, you know, good in that way. Just, just think of it as a continuation of Psycho and trying to tell, uh, what Norman Bates is now in this movie. And I found that what this movie had to say and do was satisfying in the dramatic sense um, it's not exactly scary, but as it tries to say things about Norman Bates and his mother, I think it does a good job of like making you think like what's really happening here. 
the direction by Richard Franklin is solid. Like this was this was good. It's maybe just a little bit long, just a little bit, because um, it it just it has a lot of characters and it wants to give them all their own scenes. Uh, Robert Loggia is also in this as a um, doctor who's trying to help Norman Bates just like get back into it. Um, yeah, it's it's a good film. I uh, I don't want to say too much else, especially since I haven't seen the third one, so I don't know where Norman Bates goes in that direction, but this works. I appreciated what this was and was not disappointed. Fully was expecting maybe like just a terrible, terrible film where he just becomes a serial killer right off the bat or anything like that, but that's not the case. It's good. Anthony Perkins, yeah, really good in this as Norman Bates and playing him again. So that is the last film I have to talk to you about today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And like I've mentioned, um, it's still like pre-Halloween. So there are a couple more horror films I'm sure I'll watch this week. And like I said at the beginning, I'm going to this horror marathon uh, in Boston. So I've got more things to watch and tell you about. And yeah, I'm Mallory. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you have anything you want to follow up on, you can do so on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, it's Cinema5K is the handle. Uh, or send me an email. I have gotten an email before. Uh, the email is cinema5kpod at gmail.com. And you can reach out and connect. And thanks for listening. And take care.